0: Welcome Welcome to Decision Decision Space, Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman and I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. Today on
1: Decision Space, we're eating our veggies. This episode is a deep dive on the 2019 set collection drafting card game Point Salad. We're gonna talk about flat out games, risk profiles, deck design and more in this nutritional exploration of this zesty small box card game jake are you excited for this discussion
0: yeah i mean who doesn't like to eat their veggies am i right yeah i mean
1: i could really go for a salad exactly like the point salad salads except not the ones where you just end up with onions i'm not here for the onion cabbage
0: the onion only salad yeah yeah i'm a little bougie in my salad preference like give me like a shaved brussels or like a warm oh. beet salad you know that's yeah. kind of what i want in a salad if i'm yeah. like ordering it if i'm at home then i'll just do like a pre-made caesar mix and that's good to go
1: for the beets are we are we adding goat cheese and nuts like I walnuts do, or something
0: I'm, I'm like uh generally a pretty wide open palate eater but I, I do have like one weird thing which is i really despise uncooked cheese <laughs>
1: Fascinating,
0: and goat cheese is like the worst. Like, yeah, okay, like cream cheese, like soft cheese, like a burrata, I can get behind because that's like gooey enough. But like any kind of like hard cheese, I don't want it. Like cheddar cheese on a sandwich, I would rather have it without. You'd rather have it
1: without. Yeah, so
0: diplomatic of you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What about grated cheese on pasta?
0: That's fine. I mean, that like melts. Yeah. Like okay, so a little all day, every day, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, people are like, "That's so weird," but like, the total taste profile changes dramatically: a melted cheese versus a non-melted cheese. Am I right? It, absolutely. And okay. cheese
1: is a d- divisive food. We yeah. live in this in a very cheese-centric culture in the United States, but I feel like you know the rest of the world. There are places where cheese is considered to be a pretty funky thing to be into. So I think it's totally fair to only like cheese if it if its state has changed
0: yeah exactly
1: yeah okay <laughs> Just, we should talk board games though and we on this episode have the lightest we're covering the lightest game we've ever covered on the show i think right this this is lighter than hey that's my fish and jaipur if not it's right yeah, there.
0: it's in the same yeah it's difficult to say this is certainly at the low weight spectrum and now i'm dying to know the weight on board game geek and how it compares
1: yeah you should look it up and while you do though i will say that one thing that I'm struck by is the lightness of point salad. You almost don't need to, to read the rules to know how to play. The game is so intuitive uh, once you know the sort of turn structure. But the decisions that it packs are, are rich and interesting. And there's enough going on within the sort of emergent play. Uh, there's no there's no super deep emergence, certainly, but there's enough going on that there's some cool stuff to sort of pick up on. So Jake, do you want to lead us off on your initial thoughts? And then we can kind of get into talking about the game flat out games, the people who designed it and all that.
0: Yeah. And believe it or not, point salad is almost a half point less weight than Jaipur. And hey, that's my fish. So so point salad comes in at 1.17. Hey, that my fish is one point four five heaviest of all 1.47 so that's kind of surprising because i but whatever i am giving point salad a five out of ten i think it's an average game it doesn't really excite me but it also doesn't overstay its welcome like there's not there's not really much to not like about it um but i also just didn't find that much to like it's almost like eating your veggies you know
1: but sometimes i don't want to <laughs> great awesome this is gonna be a really good episode because for me point salad is a crisp rewarding and fun risk management set collection game uh, it's maybe not a standout at higher player counts for me it's but it's rock solid at two players where it's zero sum nature makes for tense decisions and exciting moments 8.5 out of 10 i really like point salad yeah. especially at two
0: well should we just address the elephant in the room which is that we played this game a dozen times with each other And you won all 12. (laughs) I don't think so. Maybe that's coloring perspectives here. I don't know. I don't think it is. I played some games without you that I managed to win, but let's just let the people know that we had different experience in in the win loss column playing this game with each other. And that that maybe is coloring it slightly.
1: I think also I was compelled to keep playing and keep learning a little bit more than you, maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, I played this game a few times early on and was frustrated and sort of felt like, oh, this game. I don't get why I'm losing, but I am losing a lot. What am I doing wrong in terms of my decisions? And I could see how you would just sort of be like, I'll play something else. And I I also want to caveat my score because my score is would be higher if I was just rating the two player game and would be significantly lower if I was just rating sort of, I, I don't want to play this game at five or six players really, I, I don't think. Uh, but the decision space that I like is so much tied into the zero sum two player decision space, which allows for sort of this passive hate drafting and really interesting like risk management that I think isn't present in a lot of games at this weight class. It's, yeah. it's fun.
0: Interestingly, on uh, Board Game Geek, they have the game list as best at three. Also, forty-five percent of people think it's best at four, and only thirty-one percent would s- said best at two. So. Well, they're all wrong. If you're listening to, you know, the wisdom of the crowd, it's it's a, a three to four player game.
1: I think there's valid criticism to be levied against myself, which I'm going to do currently, that maybe I've been approaching point Salad a little bit from a tryhard perspective as wanting this to be an interesting two player game. And ultimately, this is intended to be sort of a light filler game. Where you could easily put it down the table and play with three or four players. So yeah. I get where the ratings are coming from, but it's so good at two, Jake. It's yeah, so I want
0: two. to respond to you, but I think I should hold off because I think that gets into like a lot of the criticisms that I have about the game. Before we get into our deep dive, let's talk a little bit about this game's background.
1: Awesome. So Point Solid is published in 2019 by AEG and is designed by Flatout Games, which is a trio of designer, a design collective. Uh, of Molly Johnson, Robert Melvin, and Sean Stankovich. Uh And Flat Out Games, I think Jake that spend some time talking about Flat Out Games, those three designers and the design collective around them, because I think, from my perspective, I, know about, I knew about Flat Out Games coming to the show because they've published games like Cascadia and Calico. And then I knew they had designed some other games, but I didn't necessarily know sort of, okay, are they a publisher? Is it a design collective? What's going on here? So, We'll sort of break that down in this section. Basically, it's this group of three people who are designing games, and oftentimes they will get those games published by other publishers, like Point Salad, published by AEG, their game in 2020, Truffle Shuffle, also published by AEG, or they'll take on other people's designs and put their, uh, I assume, development on them, and also... Their presentation ethos and have those published. So, for example, Cascadia was a Flatout Games game that's designed by Randy Flynn but signed by Flatout Games. They took it to Kickstarter. It did really well. AEG then picked it up for distribution. Calico, uh, a 2020 game from Flatout Games, is designed by Kevin Rush but published by Flatout Games. Then you have other games from Flatout, like 10, the 2021 card game that was published by AEG but again designed by Molly Johnson. Robert Melvin and Sean Stankwich. So it's this interesting sort of collective of designers who are bringing a similar ethos to all the games that they touch, which I think is that the r- rule simplicity with interesting entwined decisions mostly covers
0: it. So it looks like perhaps this group started out as designers and now are moving more into the publishing space after their. Uh, success with Cascadia, which I think will be how the vast majority of people who know flat out games or have been exposed to their games probably know them since that game, as we talked about, was like arguably the biggest game of 2021 from a hobby board game perspective.
1: Winning the Spill DRs. Yeah, absolutely. And then they have so in 2023, uh, speaking to Jake, maybe them emphasizing publishing a little bit more, they're going to be publishing a game called Fit to Print, which is a real time game where players are Uh, They have objectives around certain stories and they have to lay out a newspaper with things above the fold and below the fold. Uh, And that game is designed by Peter McPherson, who is the designer of Tiny Towns, uh, another which is an AEG published game. So sort of they're very AEG adjacent, lots of clearly a strong relationship there. But I think they are their own collective, despite doing a lot of things with AEG.
0: Yeah, I, I, definitely a design collective publisher that I think a lot of people are are keeping their eye on, um, even if at this point they're they're still a little more fledgling than some of the biggest publishing names in our hobby.
1: But very hot right now, for sure. I think definitely. that anytime something's coming up from flat out, people are, are looking at it because all these games sort of share really strong presentation, simple rule set, a lot of drafting with interesting entwined decisions. I would say that's almost a hallmark. And we see that here in Point Salad 2. So I just wanted to, in this episode at the top, give people a little bit of a primer. And and yeah, kudos to Molly, Nathan, and Sean for all of the amazing work that they've done so far. It's really impressive to see how many designs have come out of this team, even in the the last five years. That's a really impressive ludology for such a small time period.
0: Absolutely. All right, well, let's get into your very short rules overview for Point Salad Uh, and then and for once we will teach you exactly everything you need to know to play this game and then we'll get into our decision space deep dive on the other side.
1: Point Salad is a drafting set collection card game for two to six players. Cards in Point Salad are double-sided with one side depicting one of six types of veggies, carrots, peppers, cabbage, tomatoes, lettuce, and onions. The reverse side of cards in Point Salad depict a scoring condition. For example, one card might say cabbages are worth two points each, or if you have the fewest tomatoes at the end of the game, gain seven points. In the center of the table are six veggie cards laid out in a two by three grid with three scoring objectives above them. The objective side of the cards also depicts the veggie that is on the reverse side. Each turn, players have a simple decision. They may either draft two veggie cards or take one scoring objective. If they draft two veggie cards, the current scoring objectives corresponding to the column that the veggies were taken from are flipped down into the grid with their veggie side up. Alternatively, players may take one scoring objective. Then, at the end of each turn, players may flip one scoring objective of those that they've drafted previously, permanently turning it to its veggie side. Scoring objectives stack, allowing players to craft unique scoring positions that range from a true generalist who wants all types of veggies to a true specialist who wants a specific vegetable type and has opted into negative scoring conditions for other veggie types. Once all the cards in the game have been drafted, the player with the most points is crowned the victor.
0: Thank you so much, Brendan. Hopefully, you know, if you have to teach point salad at your next game night, you can just queue up this podcast audio to that point. And Brendan's done your job for you, explaining everything you need to know to break out and play this little tiny card game. I hope so.
1: Though, if you need to put the deck together, definitely reference the rulebook because I didn't get into that fact that we do have a deck that's adjusting in size based on player count. So I guess natural to say that now. But Jake, okay, are we staying positive at the start or yeah, is this just going to be a straight Yeah, I'm, I'm a back positive guy. Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> let's start how we always start with talking about the sh- the decision space overall, clarity, feel, that sort of thing. Sure. So, this is a it's sort of interesting, but ultimately it's a waning decision space game. There's only so many vegetables of each type, and the game ends when all of the cards have run out. So, I don't think though that it has that tension so much around a waning feel that you have in a lot of games until you come to know the the quantities and the number of vegetables to be looking out for uh of these different types right you can play this on sort of the first level is just sort of i'm playing i'm taking cards i'm not thinking too much about what i'm doing and it doesn't feel like a waiting decision space but the second you sort of say okay what is the actual what what is the makeup of the deck all of a sudden I think that that actually comes to the forefront and you're really carefully looking at what cards could come up and making very strong tactical decisions, uh, even around, do I take two cards of the same column or the same row to flip these objectives in certain ways and what objectives could still be out based on what I know. Uh, And then it wanes and it hurts.
0: Is it true that there's just one of each objective in the deck? Yes, that is true. That's what I thought. Yeah, so I, that that makes sense. I think that's really interesting because I was going to push back on what you were saying at first and say, like, no, no, Brenda, this is clearly a static decision space. Like, you just always have the same options available to you on every single turn of the game pending possibly the last turn or last mm. two turns where you might not be able to select a point card and will be taking just vegetables instead. Uh, and to me, that doesn't feel waning. That feels like, As static as static gets, but I do take your point that you know if you are familiar with the goals, right, and are are playing to the possibility of specific goals coming up, and then those goals are no longer available to you because they've been you saw them get discarded or somebody else took them. Then, in some ways, that does change your thinking. Of course, right? It sort of shrinks what you know is available to you. But I'm not sure, like, do you think that actually impacts the decision space available to you on any given turn? Like, it changes your objectives and, like, which cards you may take. But I feel like you still have, like, the the decision space of deciding which vegetable cards or single point card you're going to take stays the same. You just are privy to more specific information.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that that's a good point. Though I, I guess where I would push back is when we move into the sort of meaningful decisions aspect of the game. I think that your meaningful decision space really shifts based on what cards have come out, what probabilities exist based on the allocation of vegetables. But I think that your point, Jake, about you're making either you're making one of two decisions to either draft two vegetables or take an objective, and then you're making an added decision of you could flip a card. All. Uh, flip an objective card that you've previously drafted is really fair the game i think in terms of that structure does feel kind of similar to a very static game where you're making the same decisions over and over again but then layered on top of this is also that i am changing my incentives Mm -hmm. right if i draft a bunch of objectives cards up front my i've shifted my decision space in terms of what i could be doing and what is meaningful so I, i think this game there's more going on it's a little bit harder to categorize than maybe it would seem
0: so you're saying that like while you still have the six different vegetable cards to pick from because you know that a certain goal is gone or you've taken a certain goal instead of now deciding between all of those vegetables like your subjective decision space for you has changed and shrunk because now you're no longer going to take any tomatoes if you can avoid it right is that what you're saying
1: that is what i'm
0: saying but i would push back on that because i think that your decision space there ebbs and flows over the course of the game right like if you if you start out and you have just taken one point card that rewards you for taking cabbage and tomato right you get a pair of those and you get five points then you may be just wanting to take those if, if a cabbage and tomato is like available to you. And then when it's not, you start branching into other things and then that kind of creates like a growing of the types of vegetable cards you're interested in.
1: So are you making the argument that this is actually a dynamic decision, Space Jake?
0: No, I'm still stig- I, I I think I'm leaning. At first I was agreeing with you because of your experience but now i think i'm I'm leaning back to the fact that i think like it's like for me i'll just say like 12 plays in or whatever i'm at not as many as you like the overwhelming feel i get playing this game is static decision Mm. space like i am doing the same thing on every turn and this is said without like this is not a criticism like I think there's a lot of great static decision space games um so that doesn't mean there's not like a lot going on or a lot of intrigue within those decisions but just like you essentially are presented with the same choice on every single turn of the game from turn 1 to x minus 1 or whatever um and i think like your subjective decision space within that might ebb and flow slightly in how you're prioritizing cards but to me that doesn't yeah it doesn't change enough or in a linear fashion that we might think with like a waxing or waning game hmm. so i don't know i think we get into this like difficult thing Right where we talked about subsequent of doing our waning decision space game where it's like every game is a waning decision space game because like yes cards are running out you know like your like options that were potentially available to you at the start of the game are no longer available to you or maybe like less likely to pop up because you're getting close to the end of the game and you haven't seen the goal but To me, like the general thrust, like the most important things that impact the decision space for the bulk of the game are are very static.
1: I think the structure is certainly static. I agree with you there, but I from a decision space perspective, just in terms of what your incentives are and what you can do around that, to me, that doesn't feel static at all, right, because I'm drafting certain objective cards and that's changing my decisions around what's viable and then the longer the game goes on the more vet information about what veggies remain that i have the the more my outs in terms of my ability to score have have waned. like what becomes a viable path forward at a given point, that's where I feel the tension that reminds me of a lot of the waning decisions-based games that we've played. And maybe we're not going to, you know, I think we're we're right now injecting what is this like larger meta conversation that we're having about this lens that we've created and been thinking about for the almost two years now into this conversation. And it behooves us probably to move on in terms of our point salad episode, but keep either return to this on another episode and like really interrogate what we're saying. Because I think we might be like, moving our definition slightly to accommodate these different perspectives. And we should like hammer it down and think more and say like, is this lens helping us understand decision spaces better or has it run its course? You know?
0: Yeah, no. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, like in the context of this game too, I'm struck by what you just said. Like it feels like the different strategic paths through this game also impact the, the way the decision space is going to feel in a really interesting way right like because there's sort of three different paths as i see it maybe you'll disagree i'd be interested to hear. but you could sort of bulk up on vegetable cards early on right and and get ones that you think are going to you know basically give yourself a strong base so that you'll be able to take many different points cards that will be profitable to you towards the end Or you could go, so that's kind of a a broad strategy, or you could go for a more vertical strategy, right? Where you maybe are honing in on specific point cards early on in the game and trying to bulk up on like those vegetables, right? So you're sort of starting with the goal and then trying to cultivate your salad to fit that. Or the third is something in between, right? Where you're sort of getting point cards and vegetable cards in equal part. And I think that the decision space that you have, available to you on your turn is a little bit different and maybe has a different sort of shape and dynamics to it depending on where you go definitely
1: so i view point salad as a game about creating it's almost this game is out of so many games that we've played to me feels more like building a portfolio and it's around speculating around what's going to come up in the market right so if you're drafting objectives my goal when i start a game of point salad the two things i'm trying to do is i'm trying to get synergies between objectives right that's like number one if i can get the two there's a flavor of objectives in this game that is get these three different types of veggies and then you get eight points and if i can get two of those cards that overlap into the veggies i that's like my favorite opening ever right because it's flexible i have no downside risk you can in point salad there's objectives. Uh, designed around downside risk where you get a huge payoff for a certain type of vegetable for example you might get four points for a lettuce which is very very high or sorry maybe you'll get three points for a tomato but you'll lose two points for a lettuce so now tomatoes are great for you but lettuce is bad for you so my way of playing this game is almost always to try to avoid those hyper specialized cards because i feel like you expose yourself to too much risk just like how i don't typically prefer to play the version of this game where you draft veggies first and then you try to find the objectives that fit them so i feel like i have less control and agency and i'm not staying as open to what happens within the cards as they come out and drafting games the making strong decisions in drafting games are almost always about staying as open as possible so the You can play the game, not let the game play you.
0: I think that is well said, but I think like drafting the veggies early, it makes you open in a different way, right? You're just open to the goals instead of being open to different vegetables. Um, So I I just played a game that just uh, where I sort of tried out this strategy and ended with like a really high score. I I was playing a three player game. It felt like my two opponents were going heavy on goal cards early. I do think maybe we'll talk about some of the gold cards, but it seems to me like some are stronger than others. The ones you indicated in particular feel quite strong where you can get the eight points for three different vegetables. So on my turn, like the at the start of the game, just those weren't coming up. So I just thought, okay, well, I'm just going to keep taking pairs of vegetables uh, and just see how that works out. And then towards the end of the game, people were scrambling to get cards. And I just took like, five point cards in a row to basically end the game and end up winning with a pretty high score uh, so i think that is certainly viable like as, as a path to
1: i definitely think that there's a timing consideration around the strategy that you beat in that game right with the to, i'll take these objectives early and then i'll build around the objectives that i've taken you can misplay that by taking too many objectives early on right in in some ways if, if you wait and if i draft a bunch of objectives around carrots and i just keep taking objectives around carrots right. my greed will my greed will destroy me because you'll just take the carrots and you know in a two player game for example there's only six carrots in the game so if i'm snatching up all the carrot cards and jake over here you know it because of the zero sum nature of it being two player if you get even one scoring card for carrots but you have all the carrots you're doing way better than me if i've wasted all that time taking them but i think on average Because the game allows you to stack synergies, right? Like so much of the scoring is about finding the objectives that overlap each other a little bit so you can make every one of your cards count extra. Like it's way more powerful to take one tomato if that one tomato is scoring off four of your cards than if you draft early on, you take a bunch of cabbages and you get one card that cares about the cabbages for two points each or something. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that the risk of taking all the veggies early on is that you don't get the overlaid synergies. And the risk of going early is you don't get the veggies you need. And that puzzle is there for sure. The final point I'll make about why I like the staying open, taking objectives early. I'm not saying take all your objectives, just some, is that you can always go from objective to to veggie but you can't go from veggie to objective, right? With the flip, the flip at the end of a turn. So I think that that little bit incentivizes you to to maybe start a little more conservatively and you leave certain paths open by taking more objectives. You see what comes. And then if you need to flip one of your objectives, you shouldn't do that too often. It's a huge tempo hit to you in terms of cards you're getting. And the more cards you get in this game, typically the more you're going to score just because you got more, but not always because having the right cards matters more. But if you take objectives early, see, this game's good. There's a lot going on here. Um, If you take objectives early, you have more flexibility in terms of what you can do because you can flip later on once a certain path closes. So you can use that flipping mechanism as a hedge to protect yourself from certain things not coming up or not coming up at the right time, right? There is randomness in this game. Sometimes I just never get a chance to draft the cabbages that I need because of the way that they're flipping or I just have to draft them from objectives and then flip them.
0: Yeah. Do you think there's like a number of objectives? Like, what is the band of viable objective total cards that you need at the end of the game? Like, what's the least amount of objectives you can win with, and what's the most that you've seen? That's a really good question. I've seen it, it depends, but
1: I think that in general, depending on the objectives that you have, you could win this game with three objectives, mm-hmm. right? If you get the objective, that's the one that's the ultimate salad where you get one of each veggie counts for 12. If you have a set of all six, you get 12 points. And then if you get the card that says that you get, I think it's three points for every veggie. Everyone you, you have two, two of, of, yeah. If you can stack those two, that's a really powerful combination, right? Because the if you double up on yeah. veggies... That's 24 points from that first card. And then it's 18 points from the second. So that gets you to, you're in the low 40s there. Add one more card that is maybe a set of three. And all of a sudden you're in the money. You're like in that 40, 50 to 60 range. You know, my, my range of scores typically goes from like 40 to 60 against mm-hmm. people who are strong opponents. Sometimes you can have even higher scores if you just don't get in each other's way. And then I think you, to ask the other question is, I think you can go really wide. I've seen scores where games where maybe you have seven, eight objectives. I'd have to look. But does that sound right to you, Jake?
0: Yeah, it does. And I think the reason I asked that with the uh, the like, sort of the timing puzzle of it, as you indicate, is like you want to, you can start with objectives first, but you sort of can't do too many. Like, I think it's helpful to know, like, what a reasonable number that you're shooting mm. for is. And that might not be totally intuitive the first go around which is fine right because the game takes 10 minutes to play or whatever but it seems like the way the games typically go for me is that like me and the other players have between i would say like five and six is like by far the most common number of goals it feels like the game is sort of pushing you in that direction uh, a little bit i think yeah
1: just you're talking about a two player and three player too i guess i haven't looked at the way the cards break down by player count but yeah
0: Yeah, I've only played a two and three player, so I don't know about higher than that, but you're just adding more cards in, right? So you have like the same number of cards, roughly, I would imagine. I imagine. I I haven't done the math. I I think you'll end up roughly with the same number of cards, so it probably doesn't impact it too, too much.
1: On Board Game Geek or on BGA, Jake, the average for uh, final point cards is 4.57, and the winner's average is 4.66. I do think that the band there—that's an average, right? It's not a median, so mm-hmm. I think that there is a lot of room on either side. But it, it's kind of like right in line with that, like four yeah. to five. So four to four
0: to five, more so yeah. than five to six. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Interesting. All right. When should we get into the stuff that sucks about this game?
1: Well, that's uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> oh my gosh! Eviscerated. See, this is why we know it's a review of a salad because Jake has strong <laughs> feelings. Let's talk. Can we talk first, Jake, about? The sort of this idea of bound and unbound card games.
0: Okay, yes.
1: So this, is, this idea of bound and unbound card games is one that I saw on Twitter from the designer of another small box card game, Air, Land, and Sea, John Perry. Uh, this, la- this is language that we're borrowing from him. I don't know that this is my favorite language for this term, but I really want to talk about the concepts, which are something that I've thought a lot about as a card game designer. Uh, and here's the general idea, right? There's these two types of card games that exist. There's card games where you know the probabilities, and it's designed such that players of the game can have an intuitive sense of the probabilities around certain cards being drawn. So, poker is a game design is a completely it is designed to be a bound right. game. You know yeah. what's in that deck, and the whole game is about trying to assess probabilities. Magic: The Gathering sealed is on the other end of the spectrum, or even Magic: The Gathering in general. There's twenty thousand cards in the card pool if your friend just rolls up with a deck that they made, you're each going to build a deck from your collection. That's a the other side of the spectrum. Who knows what's in their deck of cards, right? Completely unknown probabilities.
0: Although interestingly, con- competitive magic gathering probably fits closer to bound, right? Like, right. you know that they have al- almost assuredly like four copies of this important card in their deck and you've seen two of them.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. That, which is, that is interesting that the design around competitive magic mm-hmm. moved it in that direction. But And then on the show, Jake, in the past, we've talked about how sometimes if a game kind of sits between these two poles a little bit too much, it can be really frustrating. So in our discussion of evolution, the uh, card drafting game, we talked about how that deck, uh, it was sometimes really difficult just based on the number of certain copies of cards to know what your chances were of being able to pursue certain strategies. Mm -hmm. So it kind of lived between an unbound and bound game in a way that was frustrating as a player. And I think that one interesting thing about point salad is it kind of tries to be both. The vegetables are bound. You know that at any given player count, there's a set number of each. At two player, there's six veggies of each type. But There's always
0: going to be an equal number of all vegetables of all vegetables exactly
1: but then the scoring objectives those change based on the player count right and the design of them you know they are designed to be equal to be fairly even it doesn't feel like any vegetable is penalized more than any other it doesn't feel that way but it's hard to sort of say what are the will this scoring objective come up uh the one i specifically want it that's a much more difficult thing you're not thinking about that in terms of your decisions as much. So Point Salads becomes this interesting hybrid game between these sort of bound probability games and these sort of unbound probability card games. So I just wanted to highlight that. I think it's a cool idea and something to think about card games as you try to put them into one of these two buckets. And the decision spaces certainly feel different, right? Like the type of thinking that I'm doing when I'm engaging with the vegetable part of this puzzle is different than when I'm engaging with the objective part of this puzzle. And I think that that for me is part of why I rate this game higher is it's letting me hang out in the two different types of card game playgrounds that I like and enjoy both of them for their own separate reasons, all at the same time because of the multi-use cards.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that is very well said. I hadn't really thought about uh, bound versus unbound, and I think that's a really interesting characterization, a, a lens that we can use going forward. I think that's one of the things that we both really admired about the welcome to flip and right game, right. Where it's like, you're playing with cards, but it's even if you don't know the count of the cards, you can like very intuitively understand that, you know, the car, the 12s and the ones are going to be less common that, than the sixes and sevens or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an interesting kind of case for that as well. I think I struggle with the idea of bound. Uh, like if, I guess like I think that is one of the things that like frustrates me about this game which I'll you know this will be one criticism I'll get into now just because it's relevant which is like it does feel like you want to know what goals are Mm. possible Um, and it I think there's some sense of like boundness in that like I assume there's a goal for like every set of three vegetables probably Um, and maybe all the pairs but maybe not right. Um, and I, and I think like almost like, even if there are like, I don't know that. Right. And I'm, I'm not going to like dig into trying to learn that about the card pool either, because I'm not interested in like necessarily like trying to get super duper good at this game. I think it's just not quite like compelling enough on its own for me. So that felt like, like when you were beating me over and over again, I'm just like, is that thought is definitely coming in my head. Like, does he know what goals are, you know, likely to come out in a way that I don't yet. And I, f- I think that was like a little bit frustrating.
1: I think that that could also Jake explain why I like to play this game, opting into some goals, two to three goals early on that are synergistic mm-hmm. and then pushing on that pedal as hard as I can, maybe picking up two, three, four more along the way, because it takes, it minimizes that baggage. And no, I, I don't, even if you asked me like I don't have perfect knowledge of all the three the three sets, which mm-hmm. are really valuable cards. I could have studied it, but I didn't that's not it doesn't sound fun to me. I don't want to sit there and study yeah. the the scoring objective manifest of this game uh, and I don't think that you need to to be strong at it though it would make the other strategy more viable, right if i if I'm gonna try to build around these two outs, it would certainly behoove me to know what the th- the three sets, that I could overlap with were in terms of those outs. Uh, And maybe that strategy would get a little bit better for me. But I think there's a lot of randomness in terms of if someone drafts two of the same column, all of a sudden you have a scoring objective that you never get to see that just gets flipped to a veggie. So you're just exposed to a lot of risk playing that in that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. I, I think like, you know, and maybe that's like, not a fully rational thought, but it's definitely like a feeling that I experienced playing this game where it's like, it would help to know this and I can't be bothered to. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Yeah. Though
1: I do like Jake that it, the game leaves you room to minimize that impacting you because yeah. it, no, that's it is a, great a viable point. strategy to take them up front, take too many and then flip some. And I, I like, so games like lost cities we covered on the show, the card action economy is always the same in that game. You are playing a card, and then you're swapping a card, right? The number of cards in your hand is never changing. There's no hand in this game. But you're right. always having this economy of one card coming in, one card going out. Well, that's not necessarily true because you could be playing it to your scoring side or playing it to the board. But you get what I'm saying in terms of mm-hmm. actions. And I like how in Point Salad, you're making a decision of to take a half-card turn or a two-card turn. And what those cards do are really different and the value of them is unknown because it's dependent on your scoring objectives. But that adds a lot of texture to the game around efficiency of turns in a way that to me is the fun puzzle I'm always trying to solve with playing Point Salad.
0: I think that's like Point Salad at its best for sure is, Mm. is making those choices in that way on your turn. But I think also on the more negative side of that is there's so much like known information that I feel like the mm. game is easy to add up and but like i don't I can't be bothered to, which yeah. is like how much is a tomato worth to Brendan right now, and I like look over at his board and you have like six objectives, you know, okay, he has a tomato and lettuce and carrot goal that scores eight points, so how much does he have like an you know an extra lettuce and carrot also, and then, okay, and now, like let me check into. Cabbage next, you know what I mean, and I think like you're not, you definitely don't have to play this game that way. But I think especially at two players, which is how I played the bulk of my plays, like the zero sum nature of that makes it like you probably should be doing that to be giving it like your honest best effort. Mm -hmm. Where I think that matters a lot less in three and four player game, which is why maybe it's going to be a better experience for me to play at those player counts because like I, then i don't have to care so much about like what i'm leaving on the board for you because potentially the next player or the player after them is just going to take that anyway but i think just like that like in the mental arithmetic that is present at all times if you want to do it was not something that i found like compelling
1: i feel like for me before the arithmetic part uh, so my flowchart of decisions the first thing that I am looking at, right, is what's best for me. Then I'm looking at what's worst for what's gonna hurt Jake the most. And typically, when that happens, you'll have a, a, a hole in a set you're trying to collect. I'm not as worried as this is a plus one for you or this is a plus two, unless you've stacked up where tomatoes are a plus six points for you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really easy because for the rest of the game, I know I'm not giving Jake a tomato. I can't give him six point tomatoes. But outside of that scenario, Let's say you have a few of those, I'm trying to collect sets. Are there any things overlapping and what are you missing? Oh, Jake is trying to collect carrots, lettuce, and onions. He has three carrots and three lettuce. For the next however many turns, my objective is I'm now in the onion business and I love onions, right? Because if I can deny you those, I've denied you the possibility of getting those 16 points. And for me, the agency around the decisions because of the information I said this in the rules overview, but I want to emphasize it now. When the scoring objectives are up at the top of the grid, they show you what vegetables on the back, and yeah. you know that those objectives are going to flip down into vegetables that people can draft. So, in a, in a two-player game, it feels to me like this really like slow mo um, like. Almost matrix style fight where you're like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I can carefully see
1: choosing every action around what you know the other player wants, and I like the agency that comes with that. And for me, that's why this game doesn't raise to a nine or even higher. I think it almost does so perfectly what it's trying to do, and it two player captures it so well. But I lose so much agency in three and four players, and it becomes more of a I hope I luck into what I need, and I also it becomes more of what are other people not going for? And can I go for that? Right? Like, mm-hmm. what's just going to be left on the table?
0: No, that makes sense. I was gonna say, I think that uh, sorry to cut you off. But I think that also opens up the more vegetable first strategy too, right? where it's like, if you're load up on a couple objectives early, then there's a lot more people around the table that can sort of scoop up those vegetables from you than just one single person. So I don't know, food for thought.
1: Yeah, Definitely. I, f- I guess I find the because I don't have perfect information of the objective side, right, that that's the unbound part of the game f- for in terms of decision spaces, I would rather play in the, the version where you take objectives first rather than take veggies first, because I get to make more interesting decisions around taking veggies versus taking scoring objectives. Then, okay, I'm gonna take a v- bunch of veggies, then hope I draw into the objectives. So maybe that's my bias as a player, too. Like maybe if the other version was better mechanically within the, the game, which I'm not convinced it is, but maybe if it was, I would still have a bias for the first version mm-hmm. because I have more fun making those types of decisions. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that Just makes sense. Little thought. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that the uh, point cards show the vegetable in the back, right? Because that's super important for the flipping mechanism, yes. which I think so, this game definitely yeah. needs to have. But I think that all like exacerbates the my frustration with the arithmetic portion of mm, it, right? Because yeah. you can like see that. Or I, I like wish you couldn't see it for the flop. I think that would streamline decisions a little bit easier. And you disagree.
1: Because that would lean into the problem with the game, right? Players who have a better knowledge of the card backs of scoring objectives. Like, then oh, I could go yeah, study the manifest. I wasn't, thinking, manifest. About that. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. thinking about that, yeah. And then on top of it, one of my favorite... M- okay, um, I
0: retract that.
1: Statement. <laughs> one of my favorite decisions in the game is around I think that you end up in these sort of nuanced positions where you're trying to craft a certain board state. Right. So the objectives that you could take early on that really reward you for one type but give you a negative. So what it means to have negative scoring conditions means that you have an exploitable position that so if Jake, if you've stacked up these things that give every time you take a tomato, you lose four points. Yeah. So
0: that'd great. be pretty
1: bad. It would be pretty bad. And there's times where it kind of makes sense. But there's also times where tomatoes don't come up early. And as your opponent, I'm just like, oh, hands off the tomatoes. The final six, you know, if I can make a board of six tomatoes and force Jake to take at least three of them, he's losing 12 points. I like the decisions around drafting and trying to craft the board where maybe I take two horizontal because I know exactly what the next board state will be. Right. I take the, the lettuce and the cabbage that are next to each other in the grid. Because I know that a carrot and a lettuce will flip into their place. Or maybe I really need these. I I don't like any of my options in terms of taking two horizontal cards. Because I don't want either of the cards that I know would flip to flip. So I'm going to take, take the riskier path. And I'm going to take two in the same column. That flips one known card. Which maybe it's bad. It's an onion. But I hope that it flips one good one for me. Or something like that. Yeah. I think those decisions are fun. Because it's not... I can't do the math there, right? Like I don't know what the other card will be, so I can't you map can't it out. You can't do the perfectly. math in that
0: one specific ace where you case. take two out of the same column and you don't know one single card. Yes. You still know one and then any other combination of vegetables, you know exactly what's going to flip. Yes. So I that's would say <laughs> <laughs> So I would say that's to me that doesn't um like negate the fact that like it's still comes down to like I I just feel like the person who's like willing to sit there and like do the most arithmetic. And that's less a problem in a two-player game, maybe in some sense, because like I guess both players can do it like relatively easily. But like I don't like that, you know, okay, every time I'm I want to take these vegetables because like I want them. They fit with my strategy, whatever I'm trying to cultivate. But like if there's so say there's like I need a lettuce and there's a lettuce in the middle in the left row. Now I have to like look at the two cards that are going to flip and like look at like everybody else's like objective around the table to see like who needs what and like what is better for them. Like to me, that's not any kind of a skill intensive decision at all. It's It's just like, are you willing to do the arithmetic necessary to do that? And I feel like that is a frustration that's present on like every turn of the game.
1: And I feel like I can play the first three quarters of the game mostly playing off i'm going to glance at what jake needs i'm going to you know get a sense Mm -hmm. for it play my instincts and then the last third of the game oh it's on calculator comes out you know right I, i will say the pacing around that can be frustrating we talked about this early on with some of the members in the discord where the the final parts of the game can be a little anticlimactic where if certain vegetables people have moved into positions where they need certain veggies to not come up and then those come up, it can leave you with a pretty anticlimactic ending. But the flip side is, is if you can you can have the opposite scenario where the end game is really fun and tactical, where if I've drafted a few too many objectives, I don't get exactly what I need for them, but I can flip this objective into something that gives me you know, 16 points on one flip because I'm fulfilling two criteria of sets. That's really fun.
0: Yeah. Also, you could get the, I think like for me, the worst, anticlimactic ending is like the last point card flips and it's like oh wow i can take that and it just gives me you know 15 points or whatever because i already have these conditions filled and like that to me feels really unsatisfying mm. and and i think like i'm obviously like give, sharing a lot of criticisms like frustrations i found in this game and like they are all so slight because the game is so small you know yeah. like like that would be a lot more frustrating in like a longer game but like you know it's short whatever hooray i got what i wanted and i win that's fine like these are all like very small criticisms and i don't think like should put anyone off from like trying the game especially because it's available on board game arena but yeah i think like that sort of that sort of like potential to sort of like it feels like whatever happens at the end has like an outsized impact because there's no way to like respond to it even if it has the same Impact as getting an objective that's good for you at the halfway point in the game. You know, I think that feels
1: worse. But I think what's really interesting from a decision space perspective about around what you're saying and design is that because of the unboundness of the objectives, when you draw into something late game, it's not rewarding because you don't feel you've earned it. And I think in terms of this episode, that's such an important takeaway for me in terms of when I'm designing games or when anyone's in thinking about games, right? If you took that consideration and you flipped it, I think if you knew what the conditions you could draw into and you got it, you had perfectly positioned yourself. I think that'd be a huge winning moment. You'd feel amazing. You would feel like the smartest salad eater at the table all night long. But because of that element of the game being unbound, you're just like, oh, okay, I I YOLO'd into it. And that matters, and that's interesting and important. And I love that we get to glean that takeaway from this episode. And it's, like, simple, but that's what it is.
0: And and some people who have, like, mastered this game, for whatever reason, will feel rewarded because they're like, yes, I knew that card was one of the possible goals, and I hadn't seen it yet, and I've been, like, meticulously trying to memorize. This game has a huge memory component to it, I would say, which is another... Kind of criticism trying to get in there at the end, which again, personal preference, but like the game really rewards being able to like memorize what objectives you've seen and haven't seen yet, which I think is some people like, some people are are not going to like. So even in this game's current form as it exists now, somebody getting a goal that they were, that helps them at the end of the game might feel very earned and be very earned. Um, But I think like to get there, it just like requires a a sort of investment of time and energy that I'd almost like rather people not be making like that, that time and energy investment doesn't fit the magic circle that I want for a game like this, right? I think I'd be much happier playing it very quickly, you know, with a a table of of three or four people, maybe.
1: Yeah. And I think maybe that fits the design aesthetic that it was going for a little bit more. And I think that in that case, there a lot of the things that I love about the game are de-emphasized, but I will say, Jake, to sort of follow up on what you were saying, one of the reasons why I love this game is when I first played it, I found it really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit of effort, I learned so much about the symptoms and I got an immediate reward. My, you know, my, my second, my 10 to 20 plays, I was so much better at the game than my one to 10 plays in a way that felt really palpable in terms of the decisions that I was making that made it fun, the heuristics that I could learn, and the the little things that I gleaned about the system paid off immediately. And that felt great. But I, I don't need to, I, you know, I got to the top 50 on board game arena, and I, I was there for a little bit. And that was enough. Like, I Legend. don't need, I don't want to <laughs> shoot for top 10 in this game, because it's there's, there's enough there that i've been just losing
0: to a top 50 point salad guy this whole time
1: who knows how big the player base is even but what i'm saying is is that like i it was really fun getting good ish at the game but i don't think there's enough here that i want to compete for first right like that doesn't sound fun that's
0: it's so interesting because like yeah you know like i don't know why like this just comes to my own personal bias but like why is it any like less cool for somebody to get really good at point salad than somebody to like spend a lot of time to get like really good at Agricola. You know what I mean? But at the same time, like in my head, I'm holding those things in like very different, like esteem, like, oh, you try hard point salad person. Like let's, let's play this game. Whereas like, you know, in Agricola, it's like, oh no, like this is like this game that deserves study and should be a competitive experience. And anybody who doesn't want that you're wrong, you know, like, it's just it's, it's interesting
1: i think that a lot of that is about the historical perception of weight of games maybe that goes all the way back to the way that chess was viewed as an intellectual game yeah and and the, the structure of a game with low randomness like agricola versus a game with high randomness like point salad and and how culturally we've inherited a lot of these perceptions even if they don't necessarily drive go along with what we In modern day, think of games as. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's really. I don't want to be like, as I say that, you know, and I'm poking fun at myself, I am struck by like that mindset is very like gatekeepery in a sense. Like, why should like being really good at memory, right? And having like practicing like that skill set be like less valued than, you know, whatever type of strategic thinking that it requires you to do well in Agricola. Right. Sure. And I feel like in Agricola, what it really rewards is like pre-study and thought in the same way. Right. Like yeah. knowing what's going to come out, knowing what, you know, objectives and stuff go good together, you know, so on and so forth. And like that, I'm totally here for. But like, oh, you're just better at memorizing the goals than me. And therefore, like this game frustrates me. That's kind of where I'm at with this one.
1: The flip side is you were willing to get really good at Castles of Burgundy. But that's a right. game with completely bound information, in a lot yeah. of ways. Like I think
0: you, it just preference, right? It's just player it's preference. preference.
1: Yeah, 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 definitely. I think it's also so interesting that in some ways, Jake, like you came down, down on. I like this game, but I don't love it. I'll play it with three or four players. It's fun as a filler game, and then I tackled it more as I'm not super interested in playing this as a three or four player filler game, but at a two player, as a two player tactical battle, great. But again, we're back to preference because I have an affection for really tactical two player games that are zero sum, and I, yeah. I think they're fun,
0: yeah, and I'm not really typically as much in that camp, and you can't say anything but it's like a win for this game that like it can appeal to both types of people in different yeah. settings, right? Like yeah. that's just more value out of this box that that does certainly pack a lot of value in a, in a small price point to say nothing of like you know it's a a very you know accessible like you could use this to teach people all about drafting it's approachable has like cute art and so on like all those things are are definitely been a huge benefits this game that we don't typically talk about with our decision space lens so yeah. i think you know credit credit to it too i don't want to come off as super like dismissive of people enjoying this and all and, and i do think it's interesting too like the uh returning to the beginning of the conversation we look at like the board game geek reference of this. We got 203 total voters of those 75 said best at four, 79 said best at three and 54 said best at two. And it's interesting because like these games, this game is so different at four and two, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's cool.
1: I think that that's also so much a comment on the context in which we play games impacts how we feel about them, which is important for us to remember just in general with the show, right? Like the games that are friends are willing to play with us probably impacts what games we enjoy to some extent yeah. at the very least like if i if i'm only able to play three and four player games for the most part i probably end up enjoying point salad more at those player counts because i'm more used to playing games that way and i actually am someone who mostly plays games at two and what do you know i like point Salad at two
0: <laughs> yeah and, and and have been practicing and honing those sort of zero sum tactical yeah. card game skill set in a way I haven't so you know probably you know you're just intuiting and synthesizing a lot of these things that I'm having to think about right you know like when you're saying like I'm going with my gut in
1: Mm -hmm. the early
0: part of the game like a lot of what that means is like things you're like unconsciously intuiting about the system and don't have to like apply a lot of intentional thought to and I think like for me I was like ah I'd like apply a lot of intentional thought to these things and I find that annoying (laughs) totally yeah
1: you are pretty good at tactical card games like Rift Force. so i see what you're saying though Mm -hmm. maybe it's the games where you can do we're able to do more or less those tempo considerations maybe that's where i slightly have the edge but jake what if we decide if we cover a reiner canizzi game or a Steffen feld game next on the show decided by the
0: winner of our next game of Fort salad (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding because i don't really i don't if this feels unfair i am due for a Win though, you know. Yeah. <laughs> one of these times. Oh, in point salad. Yeah, I'm due. Yeah, yeah. I'm due.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll play with you as
0: long as you'd like. All right, let's play again,
1: y'all. We have to go play point salad, but I hope that this has been an enjoyable episode of Decision Space. Talked a little bit about flat out games, about unbound and bound probabilities in card games. I think that concept also applies beyond card games. If you want to really squeeze the juice out of that one, and coming up, we're gonna cover rogers to the ganges and other exciting things on decision space so come back for more episodes and if you want more right now there's 90 episodes go yeah. go listen to them or re-listen
0: the countdown to episode 100 is on hope y'all are with us for the journey thanks so much if you're a new listener we've had a bunch of new listeners since the jamie Stegmeier, uh, waning decision space games uh, grateful to have you here with us Uh, And yeah, we will see you next week.
1: As always, thank you to Hembry for our intro and outro song. And also, you know, you could support Decision Space on Patreon. Go to decisionspacepodcast.com slash Patreon. And for the price of Point Salad, you could support Decision Space for like four months, five months, six (laughs) months. Help us out. Buy us some salad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'll stop sort of saying that's a better investment.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think you just said it. Have a good
0: week, y'all. Bye.
1: So yeah.